This is the Laravel News Podcast, your one-stop podcast to find out about Laravel-related news, tutorials, packages, and more. Here are your hosts, Jake Bennett and Michael Dorenda. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Laravel News, episode 48. It is the crack of dawn here, man. It is like, <laughs> well, I say crack of dawn. Woke up later than I was actually hoping to, but it's still early. So It's still pretty early, and it, it's a Monday morning for you. It is. It is. And I got to take my car to the dealership. I got uh, two kids that got to get out the door to school. Oh, man. This is going to be a good one, though. I can feel it. <laughs> hey, so we've got a lot of stuff going on with Vue this week. I think we have, let's see, one, two, three, four different posts on Vue. Uh, we've got, we had how many releases this week in Laravel? Four? Like we three, I think. We had 0. 0.15, 0. 0.16, 0. 0.17, 0. 0.18. Four. Then yeah. we had four. Yeah. Yeah, so we'll talk about that a little bit. Uh, we've got a couple packages that we're going to cover, and we may get to some community links as well. So we'll take, we'll, we'll take a look at, for sure, one. There's this guy, I don't know, looked like uh, it was a really well-written article. Some guy, huh. Dorinda, something. Huh. I don't know. Huh. <laughs> I, I wonder if we get time for that <laughs> we'll, we'll see we'll probably squeeze it in there i bet we'll squeeze it in there <laughs> all right let's jump right into it then so we've got Vue 2.5 let's why don't we start with Vue? you want to start with you let's start with Vue. let's do it let's start with Vue. all right Vue 2.5 was released so i've taken a little bit of a look at this and there's some really interesting changes here so if you are a typescript person uh Vue 2.5 has improved typescript support Michael, will you, for any of our listeners who do not know what TypeScript is, give us a 30-second overview? What is TypeScript? I mean, not even an overview. Just tell us what it is. That's a that's nice of you to throw that to me. I don't know what TypeScript <laughs> is. I've, I okay. hear about it all the time. It's Is it a stricty, stricter JavaScript version or something? I don't know. That's it. That's all yeah. I wanted. Well, that's go. exactly what I wanted. Yeah, I think it adds types to JavaScript, <laughs> right. essentially. Right. So uh, it's got TypeScript support now in Vue. And then, sorry, man. Yeah, I should have given you a little heads up there. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> I seem to assume that you know all of these things, but I forget that, you know, you're not as in love with JavaScript as you are with PHP. So I, I hear about mistake. these things, but I don't, because I don't actively use them. You know, I don't, I don't spend too much time learning them because I don't have a direct use for them. Yeah, sure. I think it's reasonably well established that I don't really care for strict typing anyway. So yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, Fair. I'm not Adam Wathen, but <laughs> but you're a fanboy. Yeah. Uh, okay. Let's take uh, uh, the second thing that uh, was kind of pointed out here is error handling. So it looks like there's like this global uh, method that you can uh, define, and it essentially captures any errors from your child components, and then it you can use it to handle them in whatever specific way you want. Uh, so it's called the error captured hook. So it captures all errors from child components. And then you can handle errors uh, in any specific part of your application using this global handler. So there is a uh, good post on this on Laravel News site, and I'm not going to go into the actual code of it, but I can assume that that would be really helpful. I know that would be in, in some of the stuff that we're doing even. Uh, instead of just having this really bad failure, uh, if you were able to catch that and handle that gracefully, that'd be mm -hmm. really nice. Uh, it sort of reminds me of like what we have in the handler class. In Laravel, right? Yeah. Where you can kind of catch it and you can do some logging even. Like if you were integrating something like Sentry or uh, Bugsnag or something like that, you could probably even push this stuff to your 
error monitoring monitoring service from within this. So that would be pretty helpful. Yeah, even if for nothing else to then catch those errors and console log them into some kind of expected way because sometimes uh, I've been doing a bit of view stuff this past week or so and sometimes you get these errors and if you click through the stack trace it just takes you to obscure parts of you know view where you don't like you can see where the error was thrown but it doesn't always really show you where the error was thrown within your component or within your own javascript so yeah for sure there's also this idea of functional components which has been introduced in 2.5 and it's the idea of like a relatively simple component where it doesn't manage state or anything like that doesn't watch any state that's passed to it and doesn't have any like lifecycle methods like created or booted or anything like that. It's really only a function with just props that are getting passed in. So in that case, you can mark a component as functional, which means it's stateless, doesn't have any data. And so all you have to do in order to do that is like in your template, when you're, when you're pulling it in, like when you're going to be consuming it, you just say whatever the tag is that you're going to do. And then you can just say functional and it will kind of mark that as a functional template. So that's, that's good. I, I've, I'm not sure that I would ever use that probably mostly because I'm mixing kind of like blade with view a lot of times. So if I had something that's literally that simple, I'm probably just going to use like a blade component. Yeah. You know, if I just need to swap in or out some slot stuff, uh, but different people, different use cases, I'm sure that could be useful to some of them. Uh, something that's really exciting here that I have not really gotten a ton into is server side rendering. Uh, and so this is the idea that, you know, your components and things like that are going to be built out on the server, which gets you the speed of something like using blade right because it's rendered on the server and then returned instead of being sent to the client and then the client having to render it so you get the extra speed of having it sent down from the server uh being like rendered you know what i'm saying but it was previously something that you'd have to set up like a, a little node box on the side to to handle the the, the side rendering of, of that yeah yeah but now you have like environment agnostic server-side rendering. So there's this thing called PHP JavaScript something. I can't remember what it's called. PHP, PHP V8JS. Right. And so you can kind of do it with that now. So you can you can do your server-side rendering with that, which is pretty interesting. So it might be a little bit more familiar for some of us who are uh, in PHP land far more than we are in, in JavaScript land. So that's something that's really pretty exciting. It could make your app a lot faster. Uh, or actually maybe not even just like faster, but maybe just seem faster yeah. uh, to the end user. Yeah, so it's pretty interesting. Well, if it's being rendered on your server and, and hitting the view ready to go, it means you won't get that flash, right? Is that the theory? That's right. Yeah, yeah that's exactly it. Yeah, so, you know, right. so like if you send it to, if like if it's pushed to the front end, what ends up happening is all of the stuff gets pushed to your client and then your client being, your you know, the user's browser essentially has to grab all that javascript you know render it all or not render it all but you know but interpret run through it, all the javascript yeah, run, yeah yeah thank you run through it all interpret it and then it has to take the templates and stuff that you had put on the page and and run through and render them using view and sometimes yeah you'll get that flash and stuff like that so yeah this can solve a lot of that and it's just going to be it's it's just going to be faster for your for your user yeah nice yeah. Yeah. There's also uh, automatic key modifiers and exact modifiers, which is uh, you can say like, listen for a key event uh, on an input or whatever. Yep. So you can use key names now from uh, your keyboard event in kebab case format instead of having to use the raw key code. So like, I think exi for example, like enter is like number 13, yeah. like key number 13 or something like that. So now you can just say like at key up dot enter or at key up dot page dash down. And actually, I don't know if that enter one works, but the page dash down one is the one that's given as an example here. Control, you know, 
those sorts of things, right? You can, there's yeah. like a, a uh, cheat sheet here of the different modifiers that you could use, but that was added as well. So there's a full release, uh, you know, release notes change log out there that you could take a look at, but these are just some of the high level things that changed and it uh, looks pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. The next one on the list kind of looks like something that might be helpful to someone like yourself. Uh, I know that you're getting into Vue, but you're not like full in yet, right? So this this tutorial is going from jQuery to Vue.js. Did you get a chance to look at that at all? I didn't, uh, mostly because I was too busy writing jQuery. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, man. Uh, so this is, I think it's just a little tutorial basically that takes you through something that looks very familiar, maybe like going from bootstrap for jQuery something. Yeah. to uh, what it might look like to, to handle that in view. So this is just a little tutorial that's out there. If this is something that you're kind of going through, you know, if you're trying to migrate from jQuery to Vue.js, uh, this would be a good tutorial for you to take a look at, kind of walks you through, holds your hand and walks you through it step by step for how you might kind of uh, change the implementation from one into the other. So uh, I know a lot of us inherit kind of legacy code where jQuery is the... Uh, hero of the day mm -hmm. and some of us are still writing jquery um mm -hmm. so if if uh, going from that to view is something you're interested in i uh, might want to take a look at this this is out there on level news yeah it's only um i think would be a good tutorial to follow if you're wanting to see the kind of jquery that you're familiar with writing and how you could translate that to uh, a view components and things like that more so than specific implementation of one and the other so and I'll have you know, I do use Vue and I'm I'm familiar with how to use it. It's just that I don't get too much opportunity to use it. Yeah, it's uh, I, I kind of feel the same. I, I overused it for a little while and now I'm kind of pulling back the reins on it. Yeah. But when I get a chance to use it, it's always fun. And it's, you know, I've used it more for side project stuff probably than yeah. my main my main gig. Um, so yeah, I'm using it at the moment uh, coupled with, I know Jeffrey Way on Laracast did a tutorial a while ago on... Um, doing form validation in Vue. And I know okay, as a result yeah. of that, Sparsi created a an NPM package called Vue form validation or something along those lines. And that makes it really easy to tie in your Vue component-based forms with your Laravel backend to handle the validation and, and populating the errors and all that sort of stuff without having to post you know, send the, the user to the back end and then redirect them back with the errors uh, made yeah. it a lot easier. Uh, and that's, yep. I guess, the main thing I'm using it for is just to provide that sort of instant feedback and a bit of, you know, reactivity with like multi-selects and those tag, tag type inputs I was working on earlier today, actually. Yeah. Yeah, that is really handy. That is a uh, it's a great library. It works really well. They updated it to work with the new five five error structure, so five five returns errors a little bit differently than it used to. So uh, I just had to deal with that as last week. It broke some of our stuff because when we upgraded to five five, and I was like, oh, error style changed, and so Spassi of yeah. was right on top of it and has a, a new version out there that fixes that. So. Okay, what else we got here? Let's take a look. Uh, we've got the official unit testing utility library for UJS. I don't, I haven't gotten a chance to look at that. I don't know if you have. Maybe it's maybe we could suffice just to kind of throw it out there and say, hey, it's out there. The official yeah. unit testing library for Vue.js is available. So yeah, yeah, it looks like it uh, it tests Vue components by mounting them in isolation, mocking the inputs, the props, injections, user events, asserting the outputs using the render result and emitted custom events. So that's how that works. So you can write your own little tests for them and then go to town on it. So 
looks like it could be pretty interesting. We've got a small little write-up out there on the Arvell News. It's maybe about five or six paragraphs, but gives a quick example of how you might use it. If that's something you're interested in, definitely check that out. In addition to that, I think Jeffrey Way is in the middle of a series now on Laracast for testing. testing. I think it's testing view, I think it's called. Uh, okay, so we'll perfect. Link, yeah. We'll link that up in the show notes as well. I think he started that just before or just after this official test framework came out. So I would keep on that. I'm sure it'll be updated to include it as as he progresses. Awesome. Last view thing. We've got uh, the Vue.js official style guide is here. I will ask the dumb question that I've asked 10 times already. Have you gotten a chance to look at this? <laughs> I, I Only insofar as that I know that it is there and I've skimmed over the big, you know, good, bad, good, bad. There's no ugly in here, so I'm, you know, I'm missing that out. But it's nice that it's there. Everyone, you know, Laravel has its own style and PHP has its own overarching style. And then Laravel adopted, you know, PSR2, but it has its own uh, idiosyncrasies, you know, the comments. I mean, no one's expecting everyone to write their comments with that three-character step down, but there are there are ways that we do things in PHP and it's... You know, it's not something you necessarily want right from the start, but Vue's been around for a few years now, so it's good that they've sort of, I don't know how much input they've taken from the community, but, you know, everyone will will start writing things in the same way. So, you know, your, your leaders in your community will start doing things. And those, so as everyone learns from those leaders, everyone starts to do that as well. So it's nice that it's been codified and that, you know, this is how we recommend you write Vue for for readability, for consistency, you know, especially if you're going between projects, if you're going, if you're a freelancer, for example, and you're going, you know, from project to project, you know that Vue.js is going to look the same at one, in one project as it is in another. And it means that whoever comes after you or any new members that come into your team will know that, you know, this is the style guide. This is how we write our view or this is how we write our PHP. So, yeah. And it's not too, it's not too long either. They do a really good job and how they did it. So real quick, kind of the overview is they have four sections of rules. They have essential, strongly recommended, recommended, and then use with caution. So they're labeled A to B. Even if you just like, if you don't have time to look through the whole thing, I would suggest kind of just looking over maybe A and D being the essentials and the uh, use with cautions. Uh, there's only one, two, three, four, five, six. There's only 10 altogether between those two kind of categories. The way they do it is they kind of define what the head title is. Then they give an example of like, this is bad, don't do this. And this is good, do this instead. Yeah. And they give, if it's if it's complex, they kind of give a an exa- or a uh, explanation of why you would do it that way. Yeah. But even if you only have time to read those, it's very much worth your time. And it's, it's pretty interesting too. I picked up a couple of things that I was like, ooh, oops, we're doing that in a couple of places, you know, like, sure. Hey, this is essential. You must do this. And like, it's like, mm, wasn't doing that. So, yeah. uh, they're pretty important. Like, especially if you want to just save yourself some pain down the road, if you're new to this and you're like, Oh, uh, you know, looking through the documentation and, and you don't pick up that. So you, you know, you just get a little tip like, Oh, that's how I do that. And then you do it. And then later on down the road, you realize like, Oh no, I named that like in some <laughs> way that's not going to work very well. Yeah. Yeah, I, so I would suggest just taking a couple minutes and taking a look through it. It's it's really well written, super easy to read. We went through this with our team uh, over a couple days. So we have Teaching Tuesdays. We went over A and D on one Tuesday, then the next Tuesday we went over B and C. So uh, yeah, take a look at it and um, it'll help you out. Very good. Okay. 
I'm going to stop talking for a couple minutes, uh, except for maybe some comments. We've got Laravel 5.5.15 that was released, as well as 16, as well as 17, as well as 18. 16, 17, and 18. Uh, 16, there was no changelog, uh, so Till must have been sick or out of commission. I don't know. <laughs> maybe there wasn't anything really of note. Maybe it was just a little bug fix. 17 and 18 sort of looked similar as far as like being more like bug fixy than others. Yeah. But 15 had some stuff that we kind of had uh, talked through before the show started. All right. So the first thing that we sort of uh, wrote up here to talk about is that when you're declaring your routes now, previously you were able to specify middleware. I guess you would pass it as a, an array of middlewares that you would use. Now you can use sort of the, the fluid syntax and define each of your middleware one after the other. So I assume I assume that means that it will process that middleware in the order that it is defined. Hmm, that's a good question. So if you were to have, you know, three calls to middleware with three different middleware keys, I assume that you would have to place them in the order that, that you know, and then that, that would be processed through your request cycle in the order that they were declared. Sure. And and kind of like what it used to be is like, and this is, this is specifically for when you're defining them fluently. So if you're in your routes file and you say route colon colon middleware, and then you specify the names of, uh, like, you know, typically it only, it only took one, it would only take one middleware class that you wanted to do. Mm. So you could say foo and then they would register foo. Uh, it doesn't accept an array though. The middleware kind of fluent thing doesn't accept an array. So what you could do is you could say, you know, foo, comma, bar, comma, baz, whatever. And it would let you do that, but only foo would end up being registered for that route. Uh-huh. Well, I, now that works. Yeah, I have misinterpreted. So it's not, not that you would call middleware multiple times, but that you can pass multiple values into the middleware method. Correct, but not as an array, which is of note because... Yeah, because it's it seems odd. It seems like you would send it in as a array, but it's not. It's just a list of comma separated like strings essentially. Okay. Yeah, that's kind of handy though. I've had a couple places where I could definitely use that where it's like I literally only need this middleware kind of stack, like this little mini stack, like maybe two yeah. or or more on this one route, and I don't really want to define like a whole new middleware group for it. Uh, so it's nice that you can just kind of yeah. pass them here through fluently. I think I'm just looking at the the change. Uh, or the commit, you know, the diff for this change. Sure. I think, I think it accepts both. So you can pass it as an array, or you can pass it just as separate arguments to the middleware. They both seem to you work. You know, what? I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah, I think yeah. it was and previously maybe, so maybe, if you passed multiple, it would only pick up the first one. That's it. Yep, you're absolutely you're absolutely right. Yeah. So it looks like you could pass them as an array before, and I. Uh, that's not new. It's just being able to pass them as a string. A sec, I, I guess. Yeah. Maybe it, I guess. Uh, as uh, as a number of arguments, yeah. I don't know. I can't tell. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put in it any down case, being early. In any case, uh, it's a feature we're covering here. So now you can do it regardless. I'm not even positive if you could do it before or not. But in any case, you can do it now. Yeah. So there you go. Congratulations. Very good. All right. What else we got? All right. The other thing we've got here is that response and JSON response are now both macroable. So we find... The, the macroable trait is used extensively within the Laravel framework and any chance people get to add it elsewhere, across that. they yeah. do. So, this is, like, this yeah. is an Oktoberfest sort of That's right exactly now. right. Yeah. This is a Hacktoberfest sort of thing. Like everything, <laughs> make all the things macroable. 
Yeah, add add the uh, add the trait on it or whatever. And That's call right. It a day. Every 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 little thing that you can find is people have been changing HTTP to HTTPS, and people have been updating lots of small things. I'm sure our wonderful maintainers uh, Taylor and Muhammad have lots of extra work on this month. Lots and lots, I'm sure. I've been avoiding macros using them mostly just because like, I feel like it's, so we've had some, some of our other developers when I'm doing code reviews, I'll like go through and I'm like, that's a method. What is that? I've never seen that before. Yeah. Like on the collection and then be like, oh no, it's not a method. Like that's a, that's a, you know, custom yeah. macro, but it's like, I don't know. I don't know. I'm like, kind of like, if it's not, if there's, if there's a way to do it, just using straight Laravel stuff and it's not too much uglier i'm like just do it that way like yeah. i just don't want to have to dig through to find out like yeah oh you had macros for this collection or for whatever other method that's the thing they're everywhere now yeah right like yeah you can macro everything so yeah. it's hard to tell and where are you defining your macros and is it intuitive like there's no specific place i, I guess you would normally put them inside your service provider but is it going into the app service provider or have you created a you macro own, service yeah. provider or like there's no yeah, there's no, you know, there's no specific place to put these things. Um, yeah, Laravel it's like, gets do you put... very opinionated up to a point, and then there are some things that it's like just put this thing into your service provider. So exactly, which is the right place for it. But then it's like, do you have a macro? Do you have like a response macro service provider mm. and a collection macro service provider, or are you using a package like Spassi has a collection yeah. or macro service, you know, or like yeah. um, package where it's got all these different ones on there? So it's like. Yeah. Or use you know which where is it at so i don't know yeah they're, they're fine i mean they're they certainly have their use cases it's just like it could be one of those things that could be overused to the point where it'd be very confusing to somebody coming in yeah to know where do i find this it's not in the documentation i can't find it oh that's a custom macro you know yeah i don't i don't think i've done anything where i've needed to create custom macros really so it may be that i'm not doing anything particularly adventurous but i haven't really had to deal much with macros since you know, when I was stuck in a Laravel 5.1 code base and it was the only way to add future functionality in, so. Yeah, it's almost like if I'm going to make a macro and I'm going to find it useful enough, I'm probably going to PR it to core anyway. Yeah. I mean, maybe maybe that seems like overkill. Like, I think that is kind of like one of his responses too, right? Is like, why don't you just make a macro? Yeah. You know, that's kind of like one of the outs that the maintainers are given is like, somebody wants to add this custom functionality and they're like, mm, no, we don't really want to do that. You can, you can macro it yourself though, yeah. you know, which is a good out for them. Yeah. I mean, the collection um, so. class is pretty big and it covers a lot of use cases. So it really does. You know, anything, yeah. anything that, uh, I, I guess anything that I would create as a macro is something that you would have to do more than once. Like I wouldn't create a macro for a once off use case, at which point, why would you create the macro at all? And, you know, anything that you're going to use in multiple places, well, I guess you have to weigh it up then. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Now, we talked about this crazy added pivot model thing to yeah, make yeah. model. And so, I say crazy. They're in the, we've added the ability to create a pivot model if you're using the artisan make model command. So, you can pass it dash P and it will create a model that extends the relation pivot class and we both looked at this and i thought this was something that was added in 5.4 but we went all the way back to laravel 5.2 and this little relation pivot class existed so i don't know specifically what it's for i assume it's the the type that's returned on that pivot property when you're using a, a belongs to many relationship so yeah. um yeah i think so you know those of you that are using it you know what it is and this now makes it that much easier to create a model 
that that uses that type. Yeah, we talked about this a little bit. Let's let's dig in just a touch here. So we had talked about um, you know a pivot table exists between two models that are related as a many to many. So if you had students and you had tests, maybe or what was the what was the other example? You said students and classes. Classes. Right? Cla- classes. Students and <laughs> classes. Right. So you can have multiple students, multiple classes. Are you making fun of me? No, I was making fun of myself for saying classes because I said classes when you said classes. Okay, classes. Jinx, (laughs) you owe me a Coke. So if you have students, you have multiple students, you have multiple classes, you can have multiple students registered for the same class and you can have, you know, it's whatever. It's a many-to-many relationship is the idea there. Yeah. Um, So there is a pivot that exists between the two. And for anybody who's kind of new to this whole thing, the pivot table essentially will hold... Uh, it has a column for the student IDs and a column for the class IDs, right? So you can have student one goes to class one, but student two also goes to class one, right? So you can kind of query this relationship from either side. So you can say, student, what classes do you have? And it'll return all the classes that they have. Uh, you can say, class, what students do you have? And it will return all the students that they have. So this is that kind of many-to-many relationship. It functions by working off that pivot. You can have uh, additional information that exists on that pivot record, however. So in addition to just having the student ID and the class ID, you could also have something like, I don't know, I don't know what you could have there, but there it is possible to have additional information on that pivot table. So what some people will do is they'll say, hey, that actually that, that uh, relationship there, that pivot table should have its own model. And I can refer to that pivot as its model. And the thing that you mm-hmm. had kind of named it when we were talking is you said um, enrollment. Yeah. Right. Enrollment. So uh, this is probably a bad example of the students in classes, but actually naming that pivot table and then being able to get to that pivot table by referencing, you know, just like you would students colon colon or classes colon colon. You can now say enrollment colon colon and get to those um, values and get to those relationships uh, really easily that way. Yeah. So I think this is kind of to satisfy that for the people who are doing it that way. Yeah. There's been some discussion out there on Twitter about this. It's been a while now since that's happened. Yeah. Um, but I mean, uh, I've, anyway. I've created those those named models before. So I would have created an enrollment model and but I would have just extended the eloquent model in the same way. Sure, same so thing. Same if, here, any, yeah. if anybody knows a specific reason why you would extend from this pivot relation instead of just from eloquent itself, please reach out to us. We will give you a shout yeah, out right next in. episode. For sure. That'd be great. Explain it to us. Help us understand. You want to talk about the cookie raw and cookie same site stuff? Uh, I'd like for you to because you seem to know okay. what it was about. <laughs> So it looks like the cookie helper function, which is just cookie, like, you know, just like you use a global function for like uh, request or for auth or whatever. The cookie has a facade that you can use, but it also has like a global helper that you can use, just cookie. That's it, right? And so now they've added secure and HTTP only params to match the cookie make params. Uh. So this is something that you can do with the cookie facade, but is now something that you can do even easier with the the global helper. Cookie global helper, right. And so the way that it works, uh, I think, is it's now they have the two new things on there called raw um, and same site. Raw. Yeah. And same site, yeah. So this is basically just adding the two missing parameters to the the cookie global helper that were available in the cookie mate. You got uh, it. In, in that facade. Yeah. yeah, that was done you as part it. of other changes in the framework. 
and without and i'm interested to know when this existed when this came into play the reason i think this is how you know i think the way that this works i'm taking a guess here so don't take my word for it i'm gonna have, i would have to dig into the code a little bit more raw i believe would mean that you don't want laravel to encrypt this cookie so by default laravel will encrypt your cookies uh when they're sent down so that uh, you know this just happened the other day my son and i were playing this video game this little JavaScript video game that somebody had made. And he was like, Daddy, can we hack this so that we can get, like, there was this airplane. <laughs> that if you got, like, 400 coins, you could get this airplane. I was like, oh, I don't know. Let me see. Um, so I noticed that the the game, pers- you know, saved your stake between, like, when you reload the page. I was like, oh, yeah. it's in local storage. So we looked in local storage. Sure enough, there it was. So we <laughs> hacked it and got more tokens and got uh, an airplane, right? And so he was so stoked. I'm sure he's going to go tell his friends that we hacked nice. the video game. But this is sort of the same thing that Laravel does, right? So it encrypts cookies so that you can't just go look at the cookie, change the value, and then send it back to the application what? as if somehow the application made it, right? So the application will encrypt the cookie, store it on the user uh, on the user's computer, and then when it comes back, it'll decrypt it and read the values and make sure that you know it was actually the application that sent it and not just some modified value. So by sending raw, I think that, it, and I could be completely wrong, uh, I think that may just say like, hey, don't encrypt this one. It could be something else too, like, hey, don't modify the contents of this before you send it. I don't know. I'm not sure. So, audience participation time. If we yeah. are wrong, please yeah. correct us. Sorry about Twitter. that. And then, <laughs> yeah. And then same site, I'm going to guess, is the other thing that I, I'm using something like this for. So, you kind of use these in combination a lot of times. So like the reason why is because if you're going to have multiple Laravel install stalls that are maybe on the same subdomain. So like for me, it's like, you know, application onemycompanycom and then application two.mycompany.com. They're actually two separate Laravel installs. They have two separate app keys, which is what I believe is used to encrypt the cookie. And so mm-hmm. if you were trying to use a cookie between two applications, they're not going to be able to decrypt it because they've got different app tokens. Yeah. Does that make sense? So what you'll do is you would set both of these cookies to say, don't encrypt these cookies. And then if you said same site, what it's going to do is it's going to set the domain on that cookie to something like star.mycompany.com. And what that means is any of your subdomains can read that cookie. So a good example is like I log in on my app1.mycompany.com. I set a sort of like remember token or something on that. And then my app2.mycompany.com can read that token and try and log them in. So it's like single sign-on sort of stuff. Now that isn't necessarily best practice. I wouldn't suggest doing that, um, but that's just an example of, of kind of how that would be used. So mm-hmm. using raw and same site together, I could see why they would kind of be pull requested at the same time. Having said that, I have talked too much and <laughs> I am going to shut up now. Well, Whew, very good. Too much on cookies. Too much on cookies. How about for a, for a change of direction, we talk about our wonderful sponsor this week let's do that snapshoot is a service for any of our listeners that are also digital ocean customers and what snapshooter does is allow you to take hourly up to daily backups of your droplets and volumes and keep as many of your past backups as you want so digital ocean offers this facility but they limit you to only the last four weeks of weekly backups yeah which i could see being a problem yeah yeah so you can also specify retention and archiving policies for those daily and weekly backups as well as your monthly backups and then you can handle rotation and how many weeks and months and years even i guess that you could keep on your digital ocean account and the backups are secure because they never leave digital ocean 
So all of this is leveraging DigitalOcean's API to generate those backups. Yeah, that's which by the way, that's pretty cool, right? The fact that it literally continues to live on the DigitalOcean infrastructure means that it's not going to be a huge pain to push those back into production, right? It's going to be really easy to kind of push those back in. In addition to taking a snapshot of your code base and of your machine, it's actually also going to take a snapshot of the active database. So that's, it's going to be, take like a MySQL dump or a PG dump of the database that you're using, and then it can be safely backed up and restored. So peace of mind. So they just kind of, you know, this service really, you know, people ask the questions, I'm just like, could I do this to myself? Um, maybe this is, what it, I mean, you could, right? This is one of those things though, that you don't really want to screw up. Backups is something that is like, if you need backups, you definitely want to have somebody who's done them before do it for you. It's definitely one of those services that I am totally willing to offload and say, hey, you know what, let's let me let somebody who's really smart and who's done this a hundred times do this instead of me. Because if you screw up your backups, you're screwed. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Like if when you need that backup and you go to, to go to get it out and it's like, oh, no, I was doing my backups wrong. Yeah. Man, that is a bad place to be. That is a bad place to be. You know, when you get yourself into that situation where you've got your backup strategy in place, but you never test to make sure that you can restore your backups. I've exactly. been there before. Yeah. And a service yeah. like this certainly would have saved my hide, definitely. Yeah, and I mean, really, the, the pricing on it is pretty dang reasonable, right? So we're talking $10 a month for three droplets and unlimited snapshots, unlimited snapshots. So it's not like, you know, you're limited to whatever. And I think the reason why they can do that is because they keep it all on the digital ocean uh, infrastructure. And the storage costs uh, are not rolled into that $10 a month. It's just kind of being that they're keeping it on digital ocean. It'll just bill your bill your whatever your, your current existing card for the storage space that you're using. Yeah. Thankfully, it seems like the digital ocean costs are pretty reasonable for storage. It looks like it's about five cents per gig. And uh, Snapshooter will actually help you estimate what the cost would be depending on how often you want to back up. Overall, it looks like a really, really good service. Yeah. So we have time zone support per droplet and volume to make sure you back up whenever your server is least busy. It's easy recovery. So you can just restore from your snapshot and get your server back in the state it was when that snapshot was taken. And it's great for any project that has persistence on the server and great for when you host your client servers. So check it out, Snapshooter at snapshooter.io. That's S-N-A-P-S-H-O-O-T-E-R.io. And thank you to Snapshooter for sponsoring our show. Uh, if you do end up getting something there, just tell them, hey, we heard about you on Laravel News. That would be really, really appreciated. And the, you know, in addition there, you have a seven-day free trial and there's a 30-day money, money-back guarantee too. So definitely worth just giving a try. And uh, if you like it, excellent. If you don't, then there's no obligation there either, which is always yeah. really nice. That is basically a 37-day free trial. It is. It is. So thanks, Snapshooter. We really appreciate it. Uh, we've got some other stuff out there. Let, let's talk real quickly here. There's there's a couple interesting things that I'm just going to shout out real quick here that look like they might be worth uh, checking out. Optimize your application with Laravel PageSpeed. This looks like a really interesting article. PageSpeed is a Google thing that is basically, you know, gives you a uh, index for how quick your page is. This is like a package, I think, that you can install that kind of helps you to get your page speed up and kind of does some of the the fun stuff that is maybe a little more complicated just does it kind of for you. So inline CSS, DNS prefetch, remove quotes, trim URLs, class white space, remove comments, blah, 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 all of this stuff. Those are things that kind of increase your page speed. And I think it'll get you better rankings on Google too. So there's an article out there that's, yeah. that'd be worth checking out. Protect your web hooks with Laravel Shield. This looks kind of interesting. That might be something for you to check out. And uh, they also we also talked about the Laravel IO redesign concept, or we haven't talked about it, but that happened. We and, wish we did. Uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, we d we wish we did. Yeah, for anyone that's been 
following along with Steve Shoger's hot tips on Twitter in the same vein of Adam Wathen and Wes Boz. He's been posting these little tactical tips that you can use to improve your design. So this is something that Steve Shoger has worked on with Adam at refactoringui.com. Uh, so if you're interested in those kind of in-depth analysis for developers though, so things that you can really put into practice, I encourage you, we'll link up in the show notes the the first sort of case study that they did, which was on Laravel IO. But you can also sign up at their website to be notified when new ones come up as well. Yep. So they've got a they've got a video out there specifically on this one on how they redid Laravel IO. They just kind of talk through it. So it's a little screencast with your time to take a look at. Let's see. I think it is. It, yeah. It's like a, it's a long one. It's like an hour and forty minutes. That screencast is. So they really kind of go through the whole thing and watch Adam kind of redo it in Tailwind, Tailwind CSS, which is a new thing they're working on as well. Awesome, man. Who who knew? Who knew that at six o'clock in the morning you would be so chatty? You poor listeners, you don't get your Aussie awesomeness from Michael this week. <laughs> okay, here we go. Thank you everybody so much for listening to the Laravel News Podcast. This is episode 45. If you'd like show notes for this episode, you can find them at laravel-news.com slash podcast slash 45. Is it 45? Oh my gosh. I just, you just said it. What was it? 48. <laughs> I'm an idiot. We'll try this again. No, I'm not going to try it again. That's it. Slash 48 instead of slash 45. I am an idiot. Everybody should know. <laughs> um, let's see. Oh yeah. If you like the show, please feel free to rate us up in your uh, podcatcher of choice. Five stars would be very appreciated. If you didn't like it, that's fine. Give us some feedback. Hit us up on Twitter. We've got uh, our own personal Twitter accounts or you can hit us up at Laravel News on Twitter as well. All of those are valid channels you can get through to us and tell us what to change. Tell us what, what needs to what needs to change to be better on this show. Uh, if you've got anything you want to talk about, get a shout out, stuff you want to promote, hit us up there as well. Or write an excellent article and post it up on Laravel News at community links or tell Eric you want to, you want to post it on the site. He's always looking for new writers. So, so there we go. Excellent. I think that's it. Yeah, man. I think we did it. Oh, we did it. We did it again. I'm going to have to rush to get this one edited. Because somebody oh, went I'm so sorry. Yes, missing in action over the weekend. All weekend. I know. Well, it was like the couple nights of the week. Like we don't, you know, it was a busy week last week. It's always a busy week. But Laura and I actually got some time to hang out this week. So that was pretty. Uh, very this good. This weekend. So it was pretty fun. Yeah. We watched Baby Driver, which is a really good movie. Have you seen oh, that? No, I haven't. But I. Oh I'd my gosh. You got to watch it. check it out. Yeah. It's definitely good. It's really good. Nice. Everybody should go watch it. I loved it. I watched it in theaters. It was that good. Sweet. Yeah, and they've got like ten. They've got like what what equates to like a you know a free trial out there. It's like a ten minute trailer on YouTube. Yeah, they okay. put out the I first scene or something like that. <laughs> they did. It's really good. All right, you go get ready, get all your kids and whatever else you need to do, and start your your week. All right, sounds good. Thank- I'm about to finish up my Monday. Okay, <laughs> sounds good. Thank you everybody so much for listening. We will talk to you in two weeks. See ya. Okay, I'm live. I'm recording. You're on the air. Talk to me. Welcome to Laravel News. You are on the air with Michael and Jacob, where you can hear all your favorite late night tunes. <laughs> you ever listen to like those radio stations? Maybe you don't have them in Australia, where like this dude with this really low voice just comes on and they just play like old yeah. jazz not, or something. Yeah, it's not very it's common. Like, you know. Usually, I was I went to a, a show on Saturday night with a friend, and he was driving home, and he had. I don't know what you would call this music, but it was very quick and like chippy and 
because they first they first started playing Kendrick, and I thought I can get behind Kendrick, and then it became some kind of like dubstep remix of Kendrick, and I thought I'm not I'm not sure the two really go together. <laughs> like, no, so much. 